Welcome to the Scale Up Valley podcast, where we bring the best of the best to help you scale your business from 1 million to 1 trillion. Today, we have a very special guest, uh, a very good friend of mine. His name is Richard Frenzy, partner at Renaissance Executive Forums. Rick, welcome to the show. Mike, thank you very much for the invitation. You and I have been friends for a number of years, and I'm excited to be on your podcast today. Likewise, it's really a pleasure to, to have you uh, on, on the show. And uh, yeah, let's get to know more about you and for the ones who have not had the privilege to, to be friends with you for such a long time. Let us know more about the amazing job that you've been doing over these decades. Thank you. Um, 12 years I've been with Renaissance Executive Forms as their business partner in Orange County, California, which is halfway between Los Angeles and San Diego. We're that middle area that you drive through when you're driving from one venue in Sorry. LA to the other in San Diego. We have our own places of note, such as Disneyland, as well as some fantastic beaches, Newport, Laguna, uh, places that people might be familiar with around the world because they're iconic. I've lived here you know, since 1988. But for the past 12 years, I've been building what I call CEO peer groups with Renaissance, which are mastermind groups for business owners who know their business could do more. Um, and they were looking for outside, in, outside advice and insight to help them scale and grow their companies. And it's been very valuable for me to be able to work with these business owners over this decade plus. I, I love the the quote of the you are of Jim Brown. You are the average of the five people that you spend the most time with, and really the power of modeling and the power of helping each other and the importance of uh, peer learning. So those those kind of dynamics are really relevant to me. But for the ones who might not know so well what is a peer group, so if you can just give us an overview of how it works in practice. Uh, and how, how amazing this resource can be for them uh, and what they need to do in order to, to join one of those groups. Certainly, um, I'd be happy to. So Renaissance Executive Forums is my global business partner and we have groups like this across North and South America and in Europe as well. Uh, the idea being that many times a business owner has a very, especially uh, small and middle market companies, has a management leadership team but possibly they haven't experienced some of the areas, especially when the companies are growing, that they need to experience to continue to be successful in how they adapt to this new scale that they've put into their business and the busyness and the pace at which the company works. We put them in a room, Renaissance Executive Forms, to let them leverage what we call the collective intelligence. In other words, the brain trust that we put around them allows them to knowledge and experience from the other people who maybe have walked a slightly different path and maybe have experienced some of the things that this business owner is now going through for the first time. It's not the first time for the other members in the group and they can help her or him to kind of think through and model what the possible outcomes could be of a strategic decision that they have to make uh, or maybe a challenge that they are facing, which uh, COVID-19 has introduced many uncertainties into the business mm -hmm. world. And, Thinking that out loud with other people has been very helpful for our members. I really believe in this concept of collective intelligence. Anytime you get a mastermind together and you start leveraging each other's thinking and creativity, the opportunities to come up with breakthrough ideas 
that you on your own with your management team probably possibly wouldn't have come up with can really leverage a company to a whole new scale in their business that might have been unachievable if they were just working on it inside their business with their leadership team as constructed. Exactly. And um, we, we can then discuss this a little bit later, but I think that's something very interesting is really, and we talk about this uh, several times, the importance of listening. So sometimes even in uh, within our management teams or leadership teams, we are not listening our people and we are not listening the most informed and, and, and the people that know more about a certain subject. So for instance, a good example is um, the VP of marketing or the VP of sales might know more about sales and marketing than the CEO, but usually who, who talks <laughs> about it or who imposes a little bit more sometimes is the CEO and doesn't give enough space for the VP of marketing and the VP of sales to, to chime. Uh, uh, so that, that's an important um, point. And, uh, and I agree. So um, sometimes the best people to talk about the business issues are not uh, our peers at the leadership team because there is conflict of interest in some uh, topics and we might not feel comfortable to talk about them uh, um, with them. But uh, that's when peers outside of the business uh, might be uh, very beneficial for those kind of conversations where we, we are able to be vulnerable and to be completely frank uh, without having the fear of being judged and without also consequences for the business for having those conversations um, on the spot. So that's great. We always discuss three critical ingredients to scale. Number one, radical focus. Number two, world-class leadership slash team. And number three, uh, culture of execution. So feel free to challenge them. We always keep uh, improving them with, with our guests. So starting with number one, radical focus. So this is repeated again and again and again. I was even uh, seeing again a, a replay of a conversation between Bill Gates and um, um, and uh, the Oracle of Omar Warren Buffett. And, and they were um, commenting how, how important it was focus for themselves. So they are very good at saying no and no again and again and again. So it's very tempting to change all your priorities a lot of times. It's very tempting to keep your priorities as five or 10 that nobody remembers. Um, and at the same time, it is very tempting to, to change those priorities very quickly when a crisis uh, emerges. But it can be also very stubborn and very mm, not, not intelligent to not change those priorities when the external context change. So how do we find balance when we prepare everything for 2020 and in March or April 2020, Europe and uh, North America uh, get completely hit by uh, this pandemic crisis? So how did you help your CEOs and your groups to redefine their critical priorities with so many cause and so many um, confusion out there? That is a great question because since middle of March here in Southern California, the business climate and the world, the business world has changed almost what seems like it was overnight with the um, decision by our governor to have people in the state working from home. Um, yep. And so it was interesting to me because each month in our peer groups, we have uh, expert insights. We have someone share knowledge for the benefit of the members so that they can be more informed. And I just so happen uh, when I planned the curriculum, which I do well in advance, 
I had a expert on contingency planning and being able to respond to what we face here in Southern California many times, which is business interruption caused by nature, earthquake, doesn't happen as often as fire or floods. And so we were talking about what do you do to be ready for the unforeseen? And then later that same month, um, we had the stay at home order in COVID-19 really take hold, unfortunately, here in Orange County, California. Um, my focus for my business when it started was customer relationship and customer focus. That mm -hmm. my commitment was to the community and to be able to help to get them ideas and information that would help them in the context of their business day to feel slightly more in control of what is a very unpredictable and un almost uncontrollable situation, the externalities for their business. Um, I recognized how impactful COVID-19 would be on a number of my community members, if not everybody in my community in some way or the other has been touched by COVID-19. So we definitely have a shared experience. At the end of the day, what I knew was how do I bring to them, curate information in the moment that they need? And frankly, Mike, it, it's changed almost week by week as we move through this. We're sort of in California moving back a bit to where we were relative to cases in the crisis. But for my radical focus, it has continued to be how do I help my members deal with the reality that is today while trying to foresee the future, but recognizing that events are larger than we've controlled, at least on the health side. And so we may not be able to speak with specificity about what's going to be even in August, let alone the rest of the year. Right. My focus right now is delivering value in the moment for my members to help them to reduce some of the uncertainty that they're being faced with because of COVID-19. Love it. And um, so moving to, and I think both are very related, of course, uh, to the world-class leadership slash um, team. Um, as you know, staying focused and staying uh, in a chaotic time and the pandemic crisis might be uh, very challenging. So it is very easy to uh, look back and, and see that maybe we, we were paralyzed to take some decisions or we were a, bit of, a little bit on a hurry to make some decisions that we could have been waiting a little bit more to, to, take, to make those decisions with more information and more um, data. But, uh, and it's very difficult to be a, a wartime leader and a peacetime leader at, at the same time. So um, on a certain way, high growth firms are always on what I call, what we call wartime. Uh, but anyway, this, this is really even more wartime in a certain way, this pandemic crisis, right? So um, what are some of the best practices that you have observed of, of leaders who help their teams to perform, of teams that unite or teams that might not be, um, didn't remain together facing the, the challenges that, that COVID-19 offered to us? As, as your experience suggests, working with fast, fast growth companies, that's kind of a wartime mentality because of the rate of change and the newness of the business model and the decisions that have to be made. And I feel like in the 12 years working uh, with business owners here in Southern California, um, we're even in the best of times with the economy, there were, there were always topics in the room that needed to be exactly. dealt with that felt like a crisis or a looming crisis or a, an issue that had to be faced 
to allow for continued success. So being the leader of an organization, I know that personally because I ran a manufacturing company for a number of years before being in deciding to be a coach for business owners. Um, the things that get to the desk of the CEO or the president usually are things that can't be solved by the right people in the right bus, you know, and so you get really faced with difficult decisions that are uncertain. What has COVID-19 done for my community? It has brought an, another level of uncertainty to the business uh, decision-making and the ability to make a decision, to take some action, to fail fast, to learn from that experience, and then to reiterate it and not lose your motivation or your confidence that you'll find the solution is critically important. Always in business as you scale your business because you're facing a new frontier, a new challenge, a new opportunity. Mm -hmm. Being willing to try something with the idea that it may or may not work, but we're going to try it and learn from the experience is even more critical now when unfortunately, because of the level of uncertainty, some business owners can be paralyzed by not having enough data to make the decision being uncomfortable that the risk is too high to make any decision, which is probably the worst decision to make because by making no decision, you've made a decision, which is to stay where you are. And if you're not satisfied with today, why wouldn't you move in a direction to try to improve your reality? So I think one of the key best practices is this idea of a minimum viable product. We think about that in technology, about the product, you know, it's, it's evolution. I think about that mm -hmm. as a leader in the company. You have to evolve. The leader has to evolve and the company will evolve with them. But in my experience, as both being a leader and coaching leaders, the business will not evolve if the leader isn't evolving. That, that math exactly. function does not work. The company only can evolve at the rate at which the leader and her leadership team are willing and able to evolve as leading the organization. If not, they end up being a governor to the company's growth and potential because the people can't move past or faster than the leadership is willing to move. Exactly. And I'm sure that uh, a lot of people needed to, to think about very difficult decisions on the human side as uh, layoffs, on some, some firing people, et cetera, et cetera. And those are very tough conversations to, to have. And at a certain time, also to prepare the organization as a whole for those kind of actions. So ensuring that we are transparent and, and frank during uh, all process without demotivating all team to keep focused on, as you said, on the customers, on serving the customers, on keeping the mission, the values and the vision um, alive. So how, how do you talk about those topics with your uh, leadership team and, uh, and how do you share this kind of decisions with, with the whole company on, on your experience? One of the lessons that my community and myself too, we have learned is that you can move faster than you think you can, even in strategic areas. I'll give you an example. Um, there is the saying that uh, necessity is the mother of invention. And for years we've talked about in our communities, how do you virtualize your workforce? And there's, there has been a consistent discussion about the pros and cons of doing that. And then the reality of how you implement that with your employee population in a way that your employees feel is fair, adequate, et cetera. Um, literally overnight here in Southern California, businesses who were deemed non-essential 
were required to have their workforce work remotely. And literally, either overnight or certainly within the course of a week, my community was able to virtualize their entire business. That leads to me to exponential thinking. In other words, the question that we now have in our community based on our experience in March is, what are the roadblocks that are either artificial or we believe are real that if we commit to making that decision and taking that action, we can implement at a much faster rate than we would normally. So one of the lessons learned that we're bringing into the community that I'd like to share with your audience is for those who had a shared experience like that, where they were required literally overnight to, to rechange their business model relative to how their employees work with them. What else can you do in your business? If you had to, if the business was mandated, uh, if someone outside of you, like a elected official said, no, you can't do business that way anymore. You must do business differently. How would you figure that out? And how does that lead to breakthrough thinking and allow you not to take unfiltered risk, but to realize your people will move as fast as you want them to or need them to if you give them the right reasoning and motivation and they will follow you. And I think one of the opportunities that face businesses, not just here in Southern California, but across the globe who've been touched by COVID-19 is the realization that when you have everybody moving in the same direction, you can move much faster than if you're not able to mandate it and have everyone see the reality of what needs to be done and move in that direction in a cohorted manner. Absolutely. There is an exercise that I, that I love to do with leadership, leadership teams and with, with CEOs as well, which is Imagine that we were, and because I like to consider myself as part of the team, that we were all fired uh, today and we are all getting out of this business and we are all hired tomorrow again to lead this business. <laughs> so what, what would be the first three things that you would do in the first 90 days for, for the business? Or if you were still fired, preparing to return to the business, what would be those kind of things that you would like to do uh, in this business? So I think that this kind of exercise uh, helps a lot to have a, an outside perspective um, about the, the same reality. And uh, it's also, gives us the opportunity to detach our, ourselves from the emotions and from the people that we are used to, to be in touch with, which is a, an important uh, thing uh, for, for any leader that is human <laughs> and, and that uh, likes people uh, in a certain way. So let's, let's move to culture of uh, execution. So as, as you have anticipated, Working from home is a new reality. Uh, we have been discussing this for uh, almost a decade uh, or more now. And from one day to another, uh, we needed to adjust and start living uh, in this new format. And we were able to adjust and understand the pros and the cons of uh, working um, remotely. So going through all these changes, these strategic shifts, these product shifts, these marketing and sales uh, shifts remotely can be even more um, challenging. So what, what, have been, what have you seen as some of the best practices to keep everyone aligned and on the same page uh, working from home? Great question. Living it right now, one of the, uh, I think, advantages 
well, I know advantages for the members of our community here in Southern California is that we actually have several members who've had a virtual business model for years. Um, technology companies, global workforce. And so to have those individuals in the room, virtual room with uh, more traditional businesses uh, has been really valuable to get from them the lessons learned. And so there was much talk in the beginning about um, it's a different world. I don't see people. How do I successfully lead a virtual company um, now that I'm 100% virtual, including myself as the leader, right? Um, and, and so that, that, that was very beneficial to have people with deep experience, successful experience. The other key that we emphasize is the role of communication. Leaders are sampled continuously or are observed by their employees because their employees are trying to read the boss and the leadership team to understand if they know something at a leadership level that the employees haven't seen yet that may directly or indirectly impact them. So that level of desire to understand what may not be known by the rank and file exists in business all the time. It's even more the case now when there is so much um, uncertainty in the business world and people are obviously most concerned with, well, what does that mean for me and am I okay? And is the company going to be okay? So we have worked very closely with all of our leaders, CEOs, about the power of communication. Silence isn't acceptable because in the vacuum, someone will fill that with an opinion or with a voice. And you need to have your voice as a leadership team helping people to understand. It's okay to admit you're not sure what's going to happen next month, but you're sure that you're going to be there to help them to make the decision. And so... Um, one of the key lessons that we continue, and I think it's a best practice, especially the larger your organization, the more far flung it is, it's critical that the leader is being transparent, is being honest about what they see and available to answer questions and give direction, even if it has to be very qualified direction because there are externalities to their business that no one expects them to be able to control just to be kind of thinking about it and planning for it. Because at the end of the day, the CEO of the business has a responsibility to her people or to his people to care for them. And in a world like today, where it's not just employment, but it's health, there are more serious concerns that employees currently have about the work environment and the future of employment. Exactly. And it's curious to see that um, we are seeing some companies uh, getting back to, to the office or uh, having more hybrid model nowadays. I think that's the, the current trend. Uh, nobody wants to make the decision of fully remote or only office to have a kind of a hybrid term where you work some days out of the office and some days out of home and you can manage it uh, autonomously. So you decide um, what days you work from home and what days you work from the office. And if you decide to be at home uh, all week, that's fine as well, uh, as long as you don't have any commitments and there is no, not a need to go um, to the business. And we, we also discussed here the importance of mission, vision and, and values. So, those kind of decisions and, and the way we behave during these weeks really shows much more about, about values than anything that we can talk about those values. So uh, what have you seen? So how CEOs and leadership teams strengthen their cultures in a, in a war mode working from home? That, that's a, a really good question because I think um, under fire, your mission, vision, and probably 
most importantly, your values are tested. As, as the members of my community are preparing to bring their employees back to work, the most important thing for them is the health and safety of their employees. It's a new level of concern that previously hadn't really been, while they were concerned for the health and safety of their people, it was, it was in a more controllable way. Today, um, the measures that we're taking to ensure that the people are safe is, is above and beyond anything that I have seen in, in my years in business. It's appropriate, I believe, given the risk that their employees are under. And it's required for the people to feel that they are valued by their, um, by their employers and not just being asked to do something that would be risky for them. And so yeah. um, walking the walk of your values, uh, going back to communication, reminding people when you make decisions how that aligns with your value system can be very powerful reinforcement for the culture of the company. Um, I believe you can have as strong of a culture virtually as you can in person, but you must do things differently um, and more overtly many times to reinforce the virtual water cooler, if you want to use that term, uh, for bringing your people together, the campfire around which they can huddle to share experiences because now they're Many times they've been remote and in some places here, they've been remote for 90 plus days. And, and, and that takes its toll a bit on people if they're not set up to work from home. So working your culture into your virtual company is a little more challenging. But as we've learned from our members who have virtualized companies, you can have as strong of a positive culture virtually as you can with a traditional model. The other side of it is too, is the, there is an opportunity to look at your income statement and where you've had some classic expenses, starting with real estate, and rethink that expense line and consider what you might be able to do to improve the business in other ways if you lower that expense line. Another area that we've seen here, and I don't know how long this will last, but is in travel and entertainment, T&E. That, that is usually one of the biggest controllable expenses that a business has. And being on what is virtually lockdown here in the United States, the T&E budget has has been put to almost zero, partly because they don't want people on the planes just yet, but also the clients aren't necessarily looking forward to seeing someone from Southern California visiting them in another location. So again, necessity is the mother of invention, but it's the opportunity to think about how do we design our business so that it is more in line with our values and it's a more successful business capable of delivering top line revenue growth because we've reprioritized our budget spending and where we're putting our very precious and limited resources. That's, that's amazing and I, I, it really resonates with me and I think that you have already said this during the show, but it's really understanding the importance of being customer-centric and employee-centric. So we have been discussing omnichannel so many times when we are approaching customers in our business, which, which means we will work with them in the way that they want to work with us. So why don't we do the same with our people, with our employees? So if they want to come to the office, that's fine. If they don't want to come to the office, that's fine as well. So uh, what we want to do is to serve each other, to have a win-win and provide value to each other that we both want to engage in that relationship. So which, which is a good way to see. And, for, and the same happens with uh, having customers that prefer 
to buy online and there are customers that prefer to have a face-to-face um, relationship. So nowadays we are seeing, even in ourselves, that some of us would prefer to be in the office every single day because they feel much more productive and they love to be in the office. There are some of us that are getting a much better time, being much more productive and that wants to be uh, to keep working from home. And I would say the majority wants to have a balance or the, the power to choose if they will be in the office or if they will be at home according to what are the kind of work that they need to deliver to achieve the results of the team and of the of the company as a, as a consequence. Well, if I could, one of the things that we're observing, this is not statistically significant. It is from my data set, which is um, Southern California, and then the yep. larger Renaissance International Organization, which is, uh, north of 2,000 business owners and CEOs. Um, Very interesting. You can sort of put your employee, my data says you can put your employees in the, th- in the thirds. A third of the employees have really thrived in the um, work from home environment and wouldn't mind having that as the way they do their job. A third of them um, need to get back to the office, want to be back in the office for whatever reason, either because their home environment isn't conducive because they don't have the workspace or they thrive more in a culture where they are in human contact directly, not through Zoom. And, and then there's a middle third, to your point, that could blend it, that could be sometimes at home and sometimes at work and the freedom uh, to, to make that choice within uh, constraints or opportunities of the business would be very liberating for them. And I think that is a aha moment that um, businesses now have is the realization that um, there are people who can be just as productive not coming into the office one day uh, at all. Uh, And how do you then take the personality and capabilities of the individual across the matrix of the job responsibility that they have and are enough of those duties able to be done remotely that you could have them in a full time. So the, the, the community that I lead here in Southern California is now adding another dimension of thinking, which is how do I justify or reconcile this third, third, third with the job duties and responsibilities? And how do I maybe redesign some of the jobs to allow a person who's very productive working remotely, but has some things that need to be done in the office, maybe delegate that to someone else or redesign their job a little bit to allow for that freedom. The last point I want to make is the thinking of the future, which is why this has, you know, I'm looking for the green shoots of opportunity that are coming from what has been a dramatic COVID-19 experience, is you can redefine your workforce for those that are looking to be more global, uh, understanding now that you can lead a virtual company well and learn from that experience. What does that do for your talent base and your opportunity to look for people who aren't just physically in a location that allows them to drive or take a mass transit to your place of business? Great, great questions and great reflections. And we, we come to the last question of the show and one of our favorites. So if you would have the opportunity to meet yourself um, 12 years ago uh, when you were uh, starting your career in the peer group uh, industry, helping other CEOs to succeed, or if you even want to go a little bit uh, backwards and, 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 and think about your first time as a CEO of a manufacturing company, uh, what advice would you offer to your younger self? Uh, as I've evolved as a leader and a coach, helping others to similarly evolve, uh, one of my 
uh, best learnings that I would tell myself, regardless of how far I go back, probably including last week, if not earlier today, and that is don't worry so much about tomorrow. If you take care and live in the moment and make the best of the situation that you have, believing in a positive outcome for your future, you will live a happier life and you will be a better person to be around. And nothing is more important in my work for a CEO than to have people who enjoy her or his presence. It is, I think, some of the secret sauce that leads to an engaged workforce is that people trust you, like you, and feel that you like and trust them as well. And sometimes when we over worry about tomorrow, we put ourselves in a tense situation that makes us more volatile than we need to be and less enjoyable to be around because of our constant worry. Um, there's a quote from Alice Earl who said, yesterday is history, tomorrow is a mystery, today is a gift, that's why it's called the present. And I try to work with my CEOs to realize that all we have in life is this time right now. And if we're good in the moment, we're good in the future. The future will take care of itself if we take care of this moment. And during this time of COVID-19, I think that's even more critical because the future isn't that far away that's unpredictable. The, the unpredictability in business used to be our three or five year plan, right? We used, we sort of had it this year dialed in and we sort of had maybe even the next two years, but three years and farther could be a challenge. COVID-19 has taught us that net, the future, the unpredictable future might be 30 days out. Absolutely. And it's always good to have a, a good cash position <laughs> for any, any crisis that comes. So Rick, it was such a pleasure to have, to have you on the show. Thanks so much for making the time to, to share your experience with us. Mike, thank you for this opportunity. And to our community, thanks for being on that side. We keep here bringing you the best of the best so you can thrive during wartime and peacetime. So see you soon and keep scaling. <laughs>